Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and you can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, travel, entertainment, and more. You can catch me each week on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KISW-FM, and we have a simulcast on our page. We also appear in Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, which is a network of 12 papers in 21 markets where we do the game reviews for. And we also have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine. That uh, next issue will be out in June. And, of course, you can catch us on Sci-Fi Radio and Syndicated. So we've had a bit of a issue the last few weeks with getting everybody together schedule-wise, so uh, fortunately I'm not running solo this time. I do have Justin, but Michael is tied up at the moment, so we're going to have a nice quick and easy show for you today because we are starting to get very busy again with uh, conventions coming up. We have Star Wars Celebration in a couple of weeks. We have Phoenix Fan Fusion. We'll all be there with the booth and doing uh, multiple panels, so that's going to be fun having a team in California and, and me in Phoenix doing stuff. And then, of course, uh, we just got our passes all set up for San Diego Comic-Con, which is coming in July. No E3 this year, but we're going to have plenty of online game expos, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. And um, a lot of crazy things going on, a lot of film screenings. I have several this week. I have a big interview this week that I can't talk about yet, but... We will definitely have that online for you. So, Justin, let's start off and uh, talk about the news of the week in that um, Bethesda came out and announced that Starfield and Redfall are not going to make their planned releases in 2022. Now, the fact that video games uh, get delayed is no shock, especially now during uh, the world situation. That being said, this has created a bit of an uproar because, number one, Bethesda and Microsoft have a showcase coming up on June 12th. QuakeCon is coming up online. And people are saying this is essentially another um, black eye for Microsoft who've had issues getting exclusives to the market for the Xbox and that uh, you know ac their acquisition of Bethesda was supposed to be a big step forward in combating this, as well as the in-the-works acquisition of um, uh, Microsoft and Blizzard. So what do you make of this? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, like you said, it it's not really a shocker that games get delayed. A lot of them, a lot of them do, especially, like, big-budget big games will, will often get delayed. You know, Blizzard games are notorious for this i mean bethesda's done this in the past um you know uh they, i think a lot of companies want to avoid um you know a situation that uh, cyberpunk found itself in where you know the, the game releases in a a very highly anticipated game releases in a in a you know an incomplete state um so you know, and Nintendo, I can't remember who who it was in Nintendo. I think it was uh, Shigeru Miyamoto. It's, you know, there's a a quote that's um, that uh, uh, from him that basically says, you know, a um, a delayed game can eventually be good, but you know, uh, a game that releases like in a poor state can, you know, there's basically no no way to uh, to salvage that. Um, so I, I think. Uh, th that's probably what's going on here. They're just, you know, and it's really not 
delayed a ton. Uh, it was originally supposed to come out sometime kind of in the fall, and now we're kind of looking at early next year. So um, that's not actually that significant of a delay. Um, but I guess the the interesting question is what does Bethesda and Microsoft have for the latter part of the year? Um, you know, uh, a lot of times these companies really kind of rely on big big games coming out uh, every year. Uh, is this just going to end up being a light year for uh, Microsoft and Bethesda? Because uh, I'm not really seeing a whole lot um, in the way of like big budget games being released. Uh, not just from them, but actually from a lot of, of companies. You know, going back to Nintendo, Zelda, uh, Breath of the Wild 2 um, is also a game that was delayed uh, into next year. Um, so it's that's one thing that's going to be very interesting about these, uh, these summer shows is what exactly are the big budget games for the end of this year? Because Starfield was going to be one of the biggest ones. Um, and if it's not releasing this year, then what exactly, what exactly is there to show for, for a lot of these companies? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. And I've had a lot of people debating this and saying, well, why do they announce these games early? And then people have said, well, you have to understand the nature of the business. These are publicly traded companies. They have to get the hype started on these things. So they have to announce these games when they have an anticipated window, they announce them because they want pre-orders. They need the money from the pre-orders to uh, you know, boost stock, to give them needed capital to finish these or other projects. And it's all about hype. And as I told somebody, somebody, uh, you know, a lot of debate, and we'll be discussing this later. We've talked a lot about people saying, we don't need shows like E3, we don't need this. And my attitude to it is, yeah, we do because there's only so much hype you can build from a trailer. Seeing the game, playing the game, talking to the developers, that generates hype, that generates anticipation that you cannot get from watching a trailer. You know, people have to remember, trailers are highly polished, they're highly edited to show off the best experience. Showing a game in progress, the good, the bad, and the in-between is a valuable tool because there is an excitement to it. Having people go online and saying, I played a version of this game months before it came out. Um, you know, I, I, I could be cynical because you see those things for various members of the media, but my attitude is right. But when a company asks you to come out and play a game early, generally speaking, you're not gonna trash the thing because that's all part of the nature. You could say, it was rougher than I thought, but I see a lot of potential, blah, 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 blah. The on-the-floor, hands-on experience is one that cannot be measured. And the general public is going to give you a brutally honest answer. You may not like what they have to say, but that is a valuable experience. And, you know, people say, well, what's it matter? You know, you don't have this and you don't have that. And... I point out, just look at Square Enix, where they had to report that um, Outriders and uh, Guardians of the Galaxy didn't make the money that they were anticipating and are not, uh, you know, profitable. And my response to that was, imagine if instead of just a trailer online, if they had hands-on displays at conventions, if they would have had the opportunity 
to pose with swag and props and things like that. Would it have made a difference? Who knows? But I think one can make the argument that a little bit of investment in those opportunities, had they been available, might have resulted in some better sales or hype, or at least, at the very least, perhaps some early direct feedback other than what was given online that they could adjust. And, you know, Justin, you are so right, because it is an interesting situation. You know, we, we have Summer Game Fest coming on the 11th, and we know that the opening part of it is going to be the big games because the indie series follows it. We have Microsoft doing their thing on the 12th. I'm looking over the anticipated release dates, and, you know, there are some DLCs. We mentioned Outrider, and they're going to have the World Slayer DLC. Look through July. July looks pretty light. I look through August. August looks really light. I mean, there's a Saints Row game if it makes it out. I look at September. Again, light. You know, uh, Splatoon 3, but, uh, you know, that's yay for fans. You know, October, we have Gotham Knights, but again, believe it if you see it, and there was the recent news that it's not going to be playable on the prior versions. You're going to need an Xbox Series S or X, a PS5, or an upper-end PC to play it, so that may limit the options. You look at December, and, you know, that's kind of light. We know that there will be the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare probably somewhere in October to November, but again, when you start thumbing through the releases, you know, Ghostbusters, Spirits Unleashed, that could be fun. But then you start to get an interesting thing, and I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate with you. So I'm going to name off a couple of things here, Justin, and you, you just uh, think about this one for a moment. God of War, Ragnarok. So PSVR 2. Now, not going to say that these are absolutely positively coming out this year, but um, seeing how Sony again had to point out that due to uh, processor issues, so on and so forth, they are not going to be able to get um, the same number, the, the anticipated number of systems out. They're going to have a system supply problem ongoing. You swing back. Um, is this opening the door wide open for Sony to come in and put out a couple of really big uh, exclusives at the end of the year and put a real dent into the momentum Microsoft has built up uh, this year? Um, yes, I do think that that is possible. I, I think we'll know a little bit more when we kind of get into the June, July timeframe when a lot of these uh, big shows are, are kind of due to uh, to show kind of like what the the fall season looks like, but you know I do think it's probably a big blow to Microsoft um, and Bethesda that they're not releasing Starfield this year, uh, because you know I think you make a good point. There's there's really not a lot um, else that I, I can think of that uh, Microsoft has that's like really really big um, coming out and towards the end of the year. You know I just pulled up a list. Um, you know, I think uh, the um, God of War game definitely uh, that has a the potential to be like the big game that everybody oh, talks be huge. Yeah, that everybody talks about towards the end of the year. But you know, I also wouldn't be entirely shocked if that got delayed as well, just because 
Um, it is such a big game. We haven't really seen a lot of it yet. Um, you know, it, that's we're kind of in the territory where a, a delay for that game also would not be a shocker. Um, Correct. But, you know, if we get kind of closer, the closer we get and there's no announcement of the delay, then the... the uh, the, the chances of it getting delayed are, are decreased over time. So, you know, I, I do think, you know, there's a good chance that that still comes out um, and, and is the big game for the rest of the year. Um, but I think, you know, Sony, that would make, a, that would be a pretty decent year for Sony. They would still need other things as well, I think, to kind of supplement that to really kind of like make it a, a fantastic year for them. Um, but uh, that that's a good that's a good foundation for them, uh, but they they still need I think a little bit more to kind of seal the deal. If um, you know that's uh, uh, if they're going to take away the, the this year in terms of um, um, you know market share. Absolutely. Now we just got uh, news that Michael will be joining us in a second, so we're going to stay on this topic. Um, but yeah, that, I think it's going to be interesting because it's it's like anything else. Teams at companies have their various plans and their release schedules. But of course, as I can tell you, as somebody who worked in the industry, you have the team working away and then you have marketing people up top. And sometimes the marketing people up top will literally, and I've seen this multiple times, have the mentality of, don't care if it's done or not, we need to get a product out for fourth quarter, go ahead and get it out, we'll just patch it into shape. And that's how you get these games that hit the store and then have two to three large patches on day one or the first couple of weeks, couple of months. Uh, because the mentality is, well, as long as it's somewhat playable, people are not gonna scream and yell too much uh, about it and we'll just tell them oh thank you for the feedback patches are coming and in the mindset is it's better to take a little heat from this than it is to put something out two three four months down the line and go from there so it will be very interesting to see how um this all plays out and we'll uh, take on it in just one second so we are discussing the news that came out this week that uh, Starfield and Redfall are going to be delayed and they are not going to make the anticipated um, window and how with uh, Microsoft and Bethesda already committing to a June 12th live stream event and with uh, QuakeCon coming up as a live stream event, essentially our question is, how big a hit is this for them, considering that Microsoft has had the reputation of not being able to bring announced games to the market uh, and not having on paper that big killer exclusive coming? And does this open the door wide open for Sony to say, okay, uh, if we can get God of War, if we can get PSVR and whatever else out at the end of the year, this could kill a ton of the momentum Microsoft had been counting for with their uh, mergers and acquisitions. So I don't think it's going to hurt Microsoft at all. I mean, Bethesda has always been known to kind of push back um, release dates. So that's not really a Microsoft thing. That's more of a Bethesda thing. Um, and I would rather they postpone a game and make it um, quality versus trying to push something out. 
Uh, and, you know, I don't think, I, I, again, I don't think the, um, the emphasis for um, Microsoft has ever necessarily been exclusives or, or pushing out the games. Uh, again, the Game Pass has really been their main focus. And I still say that that's what's really driving the revenue at this point. Um, you know, I don't think Sony PSVR, I don't think has any, has, is going to have any impact as far as um, Microsoft or, or gaming community goes as a whole. Uh, I think that's going to be a whole separate um, entity, and that, that price point is going to be outside of the reach of, I think, most people anyways. Um, God of War, they're notorious. Santa Monica Studios is notorious for pushing back um, release dates. Uh, the original God of War, if you remember, I think it was pushed back several times two, two or three as i remember yeah so i yeah so i don't think this is big this isn't big news at all as far as i'm concerned i don't think it's gonna have any impact i think the biggest thing with starfield was they liked the 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 date was was they, they thought the date was pretty cool versus i think the reality so personally i think i think we've all seen way too many games get pushed out and released too soon so i think anytime that they push back a game i don't see that as a negative thing I see that as a as a positive. I'd rather see it push back and be released in a state that's um, better than trying to force a date and not be quite ready for that. Kind of like we saw with Cyberpunk. You know, they got all the death threats for not releasing the game when they were saying they were going to. They pushed it back and then they were they were forced to release it before it was ready. And I think that's something that we all need to learn from. Is that you know I'd rather wait for a quality release than have something released. You know half-baked so i think i don't think that's bad news or, or difficult news for microsoft at all you know and it's interesting too because i was discussing with justin that you look at the landscape so we have the summer games fest announced on the 11th we know that supposedly that show is going to be heavy on the big name titles because the indie showcase is right after it and then on the 12th you have the um microsoft showcase so it'll be interesting you know some people are like are we going to get a release date for Scorn? You know, people may not remember, but a couple of years back, there was that Geiger-esque looking game that looked really interesting, and it's been pretty light. Um, so you have that. I know we have 505 Games doing one of their own things this week. And it is kind of interesting because you're going to have that, and then you're going to have uh, Microsoft's situation. Now, I'm pretty convinced that between one of the two, you're going to get a look at the new Call of Duty Modern Warfare, so we know that's coming out this year. And then I think it only stands to reason that um, Sony is going to do their own thing sometime this summer. Uh, we have Star Wars Celebration coming up in a couple of weeks where the sequel to Jedi Fallen Order, which we're hearing is called Jedi Survivor. Um, will be revealed. Who knows if we're going to see anything on other Star Wars games. And then I was telling Justin, you know, we, we got the news about uh, Square Enix losing money, and we talked about this briefly, Michael, where they lost money on Outriders, they've lost money on Guardians of the Galaxy reportedly, and if there were live shows where they could have showcased it, would it have changed things? Um, we talked about how PAX has been light on any of the major companies and that sort of thing and so i was just musing going we're all set for san diego comic-con we've you know been told absolutely it's in person the press passes are going out blah 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 confirmed while it is not a massive gaming event there has been a gaming presence over the years and some of the things i could remember uh borderlands the pre-sequel 
I remember alien colonial Marines doing events there. I remember some years where um, at the end of the far hall, Microsoft and Sony had booths opposite each other. Uh, what do you call it? Nintendo uh, did a lounge at one of the nearby hotels where they would show off stuff. And I remember one year at the uh, at Manchester Grand Hyatt down at the end, Microsoft had a very elaborate interactive suite showing off things. So I, I'm curious to see if any, you know, what kind of video game companies are going to be coming back. Uh, because until we get Gamescom in this, and I, I'm also curious if this is going to lead to perhaps some uh, pushed uh, DLC and expansion and stuff to essentially, um, you know, take Bethesda, for example. Would they potentially say, all right, we need to get something for Doom, or are we going to get something for Fallout? I mean, that's kind of a given. Uh, or does this give them an opportunity to say, you know what, we're just, and I'm just spitballing here, uh, Prey 2, Rage 3, something like that. You know, maybe they move up in a, a planned announcement. It will be very interesting, that's for sure. So changing gears, folks, we have the television upfronts this week. And for those who do not know what these are, uh, basically a few weeks ago we had CinemaCon, where this is where the studios pitch their upcoming projects to the theater owners. They hype it up, how much we love you, how much we count on you. This is where the TV networks pitch their upcoming lineups to advertisers. And the idea behind it is to get them very excited about their upcoming schedule. This is when we find out about new series that are going uh, forward, shows that are being canceled, changes to uh, schedules, that sort of thing. To give you an idea, tomorrow morning, YouTube is going to kick things off the breakfast. NBC Universal is doing theirs. Fox is doing theirs, and of course, we've already heard things down the line that we've had shocking announcements, such as Magnum PI being canceled, and it was a shock in the fact that um, the series star was convinced as of just recently, a week and a half ago, that they were golden for renewal uh, because they were a top 25 show, they had very good sales internationally, and they had you know, a solid 5 million people uh, watching it, not to mention those that followed on um, Paramount Plus, I was told the big issue was they didn't have them in the key market, the key demographics of 18 to 45. And so essentially this was the network. We had um, new shows like Pivoting that uh, apparently became a very tense negotiation. And this is one of the problems of you have a show that was done by Warner Brothers that was carried by Fox. And of course, you can imagine in this changing landscape, it all comes down to, you know, who's going to stream it, who's going to upfront the cost, so on and so forth, and lots of craziness. So, Michael, we'll start with you. Um, based on some of these announcements, uh, what has shocked you? What are you waiting on? And what do you think we might have this week or have all the big announcements already been made? Well, yeah, I, I mean, just talking about some of the announcements, I mean, there were lots of huge shows that were canceled. I think I think everybody was a bit shocked at how many of them were, even ones that they felt were were popular and ones that they felt were um, likely to do well. I, I don't know if that's indicative of the market, whether there's a lot a big, big focus more on streaming services and a lot of folks are kind of ditching live TV and going more for streaming services 
or if it's just that they're trying to pivot. Maybe some of these shows have gotten, you know, have gotten so out of control as far as cost is concerned that they're just not able to make the, you know, what's necessary for them to, to keep up. Um, you know, so we, you know, you talked about Magnum PI. Obviously, I think Legends of Tomorrow and Batwoman were also canceled. Um, I think there's just I don't I don't know what the big trend is now in shows because I'll be frank I haven't watched many live shows in a while. Uh, most of it's been streaming older shows and that sort of thing. Um, but but there have been a lot of big holes. And again, some of these shows were were had come to a natural end. Blackish I, I know was one of those. There's always been some talk as what's going to take up the mantle in its place. Um, you know, so there's, I think there's, it, it's it's kind of an, I think, an interesting time where we're just trying to figure out what types of shows are going to are gonna fill in these spots that they're trying to, to free up. You know, we're starting to see, you know, the streaming services like Paramount Plus are bringing a lot of shows that would have probably been primetime type shows um, to their streaming service and going strictly streaming versus primetime. Um, and we're also seeing, you know, there, there's, the summertime's always kind of weird because they're always starting to do some of the the summer games, the, the TV show games on TV and that sort of thing. Um, and the fall lineups, you know, are starting to be announced. But I, I do think that there's a you know, there's a big um, question mark there as to what what types of shows they're going to bring in to fill a lot of these spots because they canceled quite a few tentpole type shows that they're going to have to try to fill with something that's going to hopefully take up that mantle and not be something that's going to be a one one season type of show, uh, and, and I, again, I think it's an interesting um, landscape. Is, is what 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 are people looking for now? You know, are they are they looking for the the ten episode um, streaming type shows? You know, people see the budget that they put into those that are not necessarily the same types of budgets they'll put into normal um, free air television shows. So it'll be curious to see where where we go with this one. I think this is the first year where I think I've seen so many. Um, major shows get canned and not knowing what's going to be there to fill those spots. Absolutely. Justin, your take, please. No, I think uh, Michael makes a really, really good point that, uh, um, and just to kind of go off of that, no no show lasts forever. I mean, well, there's a few exceptions where there are, you know, like Simpsons it's on like 20-something mm-hmm. season or, or whatever, but most shows, um, I think on average usually last around five seasons that's when they kind of lose steam especially if it's like story based so if they've got like kind of like a plot arc going on i mean most of the time that that can last pretty much between somewhere between four and six seasons you know usually around five is like where where it starts to uh to feel like it's losing steam so um you know i think we talked in the past about um you know stranger things um being one of like the big shows for for netflix um you know what what do they have that you know will replace that because you know even you know considering uh or or taking out that the the actors are getting older um you know there's just the the issue that the the show itself i think is losing steam just because that's just what happens to shows especially story-based ones so you know i I think that's kind of what we're seeing we're seeing kind of a lot of these shows kind of retire essentially they're just they've uh they've kind of uh maxed out their lifespan and um they've got to replace them with new shows i think the concern is is that you know typically you kind of want a a pretty natural um landscape where you've got you know shows that might be in its 
second season now uh building up steam to replace the shows that are kind of um you know retiring and getting canceled that have been going on for for a few seasons and i don't know if we're if we really see a lot of that i think that the landscape for television is a bit of a mixed bag um there are some shows that are incredible i think but i think overall if you like take a step back and you look at the state of television as a whole i think the trajectory is kind of in the wrong path um you know there are some really really good ones you know i'm i'm a huge fan of better call saul that's probably my my favorite uh, show that's like on air right now um you know the mandalorian was obviously very good um you know a lot of the streaming shows are are ex- of extremely high quality but i think as a as a whole the television industry i think there are fewer shows that are interesting than there used to be about 10 years ago um and i think that is something that uh a lot of these companies are going to have to correct and you're right too because the changing landscape is a huge deal i to give you an example i did a little bit of uh checking and there was this whole thing michael brought up the shows from cw uh getting the axe and one of the reasons behind that is streaming it uh, was the fact that they had a deal in place with netflix to you know stream a lot of these shows in some cases you know literally the moment the season ended bang it was right there on netflix and then with the viacom excuse me the discovery and um Warner Brothers merger uh, pending, that all started to change because it became, hey, we want this stuff for HBO Max. We don't want the competition having it. And, you know, you you see, as I mentioned, shows like Pivoting that run on Fox but are produced by Warner Brothers. And they're sitting there going, well, you know, what's our streaming option? Because you could see Fox would say, we want it on Hulu where it is now. But then Warner Brothers might say, well, we want it on HBO Max, but then the argument is that HBO Max is generally more for movies, their original series, and certain landmark shows, such as Big Bang Theory and stuff like that. But see, again, that becomes an issue because, you know, Big Bang Theory, that's on HBO Max, but if you want the spinoff, Young Shelton, that's on Paramount Plus. And you're just seeing such a, uh, an interesting crawl, and it, it seems to be a case of net, these streaming services don't want to have to bid and pay huge amounts of money to acquire content. They want their own shows because essentially you can control it. I mean, yes, there's still money changing hands, and the producers and the cast still have to get their cut, but it's a lot easier than having to play that game. People forget about the issue with the X-Files where twice Chris Carter sued Fox and won because his ex you know his uh, statement was they were selling it to their own controlled networks for less money than they could get on the open market uh, simply to keep control of the reruns I believe it was going to FX or something like that and his attitude was had it gone to an open market where one of their rivals had got it and paid more money it would have been more money in my pocket and it's such a crazy, crazy situation in such a crazy world. I mean, again, you know, you look at something like Magnum PI, big hit show, does well overseas. We went through all the numbers. And I had said to my wife, I said, I thought something was up because I, I'm not going to spoil anything, but 
Jay Hernandez had come out and he had said, uh, yeah, you know, I'm not worried about the fact that we haven't been given a renewal yet. I, uh, I think we're absolutely golden, uh, you know, went over the numbers and all of this. The very last episode of the show, for people who uh, don't follow it, are filmed in Hawaii. And the very final scene, uh, one, uh, Higgins and Magnum walk out onto a patio. And I said to Jen, that looks like a CGI background to me. It doesn't look like they went out and filmed a patio in Hawaii. And I started to get the impression that I wonder if this scene was added late in that perhaps they were both already stateside and they gathered them up in California, put them on a soundstage, put up a CGI background and filmed a quick scene and essentially left it like that to say, okay, on the off chance we're not coming back, at least we have somewhat of a closure to it. Uh, but it's not closing anything out, but at least you could say, okay, because of this, you can speculate what the future held. And it just struck me as odd. I mean, this is a show that has gone out of its way to take in the natural beauty of Hawaii and show the landscape. And, you know, why would they have such a blatantly obvious uh, soundstage scene? Uh, and that was the only thing I could think of was that maybe they were hedging their bets saying we better shoot something uh, really quick just in case. So. It will be interesting. And, you know, we've already heard some interesting things from the upfronts, like the um, Quantum Leap reboot is going forward. Apparently they were impressed enough with the pilot that they are going to go and bring it to series. Um, you know, again, questions will be out there. Will people accept this if it's not Scott Bakula? I mean, I know he supposedly has a hand in it, but, you know, we'll see. And it, it's just going to be very, very curious to see what happens. Um, you're already seeing the streaming services, you know, HBO Max has come out and they, hey, we got this new Game of Thrones and we've got a new season of Westworld and we've got this and we've got this. And it's, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting uh, week ahead, that's for sure. Other things I wanted to mention really quick, Evil Dead the Game has come out. We've got some video out. Uh, Rainbow Six Extraction has got a new Nightmare Fog mode for, uh, free of charge. If you own uh, Tom Clancy's The Division Two Warlords of New York, there's a brand new Season 9 out. And Deathloop has added a new photo mode to the game. So these are all things that are uh, you know, highly anticipated. So looking ahead, guys, what are you uh, anticipating this week? Do you think we've had the big news drop for right now and it's going to be a little quiet uh, until Star Wars Celebration and we start getting the news from that? Or uh, what do you think? Yeah, so I, I don't know. I think we're kind of into the summertime lull. I always remember, you know, the beginning of the year always starts off with a bang. We get lots of new releases. We get lots of um, updates. Then typically right around this time is when people start preparing for Gamescom, E3 in the past, um, the Comic-Cons, Phoenix Fan Fusion is coming up in a couple weeks, um, San Diego Comic-Con as well, along with Denver Comic-Con. So I always kind of think about April and early May is kind of the time where there's not really a lot of big news, a lot of announcements because they're trying to save up, um, traditionally save up uh, for the bigger shows. And I think with the announcement that you know Microsoft's doing their own show um, that QuakeCon, obviously, will be coming up. Um, Gamescom, as we've, we've talked about. I'm sure Sony will be announcing um, 
one of their state of play soon, I would imagine, if not like June or July. So I think if anything, we're going to start seeing more announcements for upcoming announcement shows and probably anything at the, as far as uh, new release information and that sort of thing. At least that's kind of always been, um, I, I just always kind of remember people are kind of at a point now where school is starting to get out. Um, there's just not a lot of news floating around. You know, we start seeing the summer sales will start kicking off here. Um, it seems like we just finished the spring sales in some cases, but summer sales will start kicking off here in June and July as well for the game releases and, and, and that sort of thing. So I think, I would think for the next week or two, we'll probably not get a lot of news um, leading up to the summer announcements where they do the, the summer uh, game events and that sort of thing. And Justin, what are you thinking? Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, May May has ever well, never really been a big month for uh, especially like game announcements, just because it used to be the you know it used to actually be one of the most quiet months, just because it was the months before E three. So usually you would see, you know, every company kind of playing their cards close to their chest. Sometimes you get leaks and stuff in the month of May. Um, and then, you know, E3 was usually like in, in June. So, um, so I, you know, and even though we're not getting E3, I still think a lot of companies kind of just have that mindset sort of built in that are right around like June, July, August. They're basically, or we'll see probably E3 style announcements during those three months, but probably not much in May. Um, you know, you might, we might get surprised and someone might announce something big, but uh, like Michael said, a lot of these companies are going to uh, wait for their own events. Um, and as far as I know, I don't think any big company is doing a, a, a May event. You know, we might see something from Nintendo um, would be my guess just because they just did an indie showcase which usually is, um, you know, them getting their indie stuff out of the way so that they can do a Nintendo Direct. Um, so I could see them doing a Nintendo Direct sometime soon um, within the next few weeks. But uh, but other companies, you know, they're probably waiting for their own big events, which, I, again, I don't think there are any announced for the rest of May. So I, I think we're kind of in, in for a, uh, a little bit of a slower news cycle um, until... Um, you know, probably June, July, August is probably what we'll, we'll, where we'll see uh, some bigger announcements. Yeah, it is going to be very interesting. I just, I, you know, I have a feeling I'm curious about a Star Wars celebration in terms of everybody has got all these high expectations. And you can say, all right, you know, we might get something from Ahsoka because they just started filming. I'd be shocked if we don't get anything for Andor and the Bad Batch too. We understand that Jedi Fallen Order 2, or as we're told, Jedi Survivor is going to get its uh, reveal. But, you know, what else is coming? And that's going to be the big thing. And I think in many ways we're going to get kind of like a lot of things. We're so in that mode of games, 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 games up through June. And then it's all quiet until Comic-Con with the leaks. With Comic-Con being back in person this year, I would expect... Uh, I've already heard rumors of several major studios returning to Comic-Con, so that's good. You know, the last couple of years for Comic-Con Online, we did not get a lot of movie stuff because, um, let's face it, there weren't a lot of uh, sure things going on at the movies, but we're seeing a lot of films come back, and it'll be really interesting. So I wanted to close with, Justin, this is right up your alley. We've got news to shock, to the shock of no one, 
There's an, uh, another go um, Godzilla movie in the works. Adam Wingard is back to direct. Dan Stevens is going to be in it. Uh, what are you expecting this time out, and which of the creatures do you expect to see? <laughs> um, wow, good question. Uh, that actually took me off guard. I didn't know that uh, they announced another movie. Um, in interesting. So, basically, they're kind of going down the line of, of like, the big ones. Um, so, we got... Um, uh, Mechagodzilla, I, and I, you know, it's kind of a shame. I, I think, I think Mechagodzilla would have been more interesting, you know, holding that off to be like a one-on-one -on -one, um, against Godzilla, but they ended up using Mechagodzilla for uh, uh, Godzilla vs. Kong. Uh, so Mechagodzilla probably out. Um, there's, uh, and so they already did Ghidorah. Um, so basically that leaves some of the other kind of big popular ones you've got uh uh Gigan, um could could probably carry a movie um you know as a as a uh, opponent to Godzilla uh they could do Biolante um which you know that would probably be my preferred one uh that's probably one of the ones I liked the most when I was a when I was a kid um that one I, I think maybe it's a little less likely Gigan's a little bit more iconic um you know or they could kind of go into the like space godzilla uh would be kind of an interesting one you know it, one question that they'll have to kind of ask themselves is how many more of these movies um can they really do uh it, it these are quite expensive and it doesn't seem like i mean it seems like they make money but they they're always kind of a little bit like um iffy on uh, on how successful they are uh they, they typically do pretty well overseas and it, it seems like i mean obviously they make enough money to kind of continue the continue the project but they're not like wild runaway successes like marvel movies so um if they're only able to do one more movie i think the question that they'll they'll have to kind of approach is like if they have one one last movie to do you know which, which iconic monster um can they put in there you know space godzilla you know that that movie was just not very good uh so I, I kind of doubt that they would do that, even though, you know, the monster design itself, I think, is pretty cool. So, that, that I mean, that would be possible. Um, they could, you know, do Ghidorah again. They could do Mecha Ghidorah uh, would be an option. So, I mean, they have, they have some options, and I'm kind of curious to see what they choose. But I think very likely it's going to be something like uh, either Mecha Ghidorah, Gigan, um, uh, Biolante or Space Godzilla are probably the most likely ones. Um, I'd be a little surprised if they did something else. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very interested to see where they go with it. Sounds good. And Michael, close this out. Do you have any thoughts or expectations on this? What about Baby Godzilla? Wasn't he like the Scrappy-Doo of the Scooby-Doo universe? I mean, they <laughs> close it out with him. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, if they wanted, I think if they wanted to put a nail in the coffin of the Godzilla movies, that's where they would go. But um, I don't know probably some people were, were big fans of Baby Godzilla, so I shouldn't really say that. But um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's I, I'm I'm always kind of mixed on them because I always like the effects. I like I've always been a big fan of the Godzilla movies in general, and and I even the ones I think the problem they have to decide if they want to try if they're trying to take themselves seriously 
or if they're not. Because I think part of the pitfall they've been running into is they're trying to take it seriously, but the story doesn't always lend itself to be taken seriously. And I'm not saying they should make it a spoof or they should make it a comedy or anything like that. But I, I, I think sometimes they try to take themselves a little bit too seriously, and that's where the story kind of falls flat. You know, a lot of people want to see the big action pieces. Um, I, I kind of equate it to some of the problems they do with the Transformer movies is there's a, always, there's, they tend to want to focus on the human aspect of it, and I think that's what nobody what nobody cares about. They want to see the, the big monsters. They want to understand the, the they want to see the monsters fighting. They want to see the, the, the big action pieces. They really don't care about the human characters, or they, they shouldn't be a, the primary focus, and, and that's always been my problem with um, the Transformer movies, too, is they've always been like, well, we need to focus on the human character aspect of these movies, and no, nobody cares. They were in the cartoons, they were always secondary. There were maybe, you know, one or two primary human characters, and then the focus was always on the Transformers. Same thing with the Godzilla movies. Yeah, maybe you have one or two, um, you know, the princess or, or whomever um, happens to be the, the key human figure in the Godzilla movies, but that wasn't the focus. And I, and I think that's where these movies need to kind of start pivoting is let's focus more on the interesting dynamics of the characters. And, and to Justin's point, I, I agree. I think a Mecha Godzilla um, by himself would have been a far more useful and entertaining movie versus kind of throwing him in as an afterthought for Godzilla versus Kong. I think with Godzilla versus Kong, I know they had to have a reason for them to team up. I get it. But at the same time, I think those two were big enough draws. They didn't need to add a, a major potential character into that mix that they could just take out quickly. I, again, I think Mechagodzilla, heck, they had a movie based on him in the original ones. It was the whole Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. So it would have been, a, I think that would have been a good take on a, on a standalone film myself. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's a lot of lore they can draw from. I think there's a lot of monsters they can still pull from. But, but I think the overall, if they want to make it successful, they really need to focus on the monsters themselves and probably a little bit less on the character development, which is what we seem to get. Yeah, very well said. Now, uh, I have some TV casting news and some other news that is coming in that uh, kind of makes you wonder. So um, Blair Underwood was apparently going to star in an L.A. Law reboot, which ABC passed on. And uh, so they're shopping it to other networks but um after six years of trying to get this series off the ground apparently cbs has agreed uh, to a mid-season replacement of a television show based on true lies now here's where it gets really unusual steve howey will be playing the arnold schwarzenegger role for those of you that aren't familiar with the name he played kevin the bartender in shameless so you're going from a muscle-bound guy to a tall, wiry-type character. Uh, so they, they are going to go ahead with that, and that's another one where I sit there and I go, you're going to put it on CBS, but it's a Fox property. So, yeah, I'm curious how that's going to play out down the line. Also, somebody whose career has really taken a, a huge upswing Alan Richson, who has been buoyed by the success of the Reacher series on... Amazon has apparently been cast in Fast 10, so it'll be interesting to see what he plays. But 
Uh, I will leave out. Uh, we talked about this. We, uh, I, you know, earlier I mentioned not on this show but elsewhere. Christopher Walken has been cast as the Emperor in the next Dune film, but. The news of the week that I found most interesting, guys, is that Spinal Tap is getting a sequel. And uh, this, is, this is quite clever. I, I saw the outline. Rob Reiner will return to direct and also play filmmaker Marty DeBerge. So Reiner makes good films. He doesn't attach himself to garbage. I'm intrigued by this. The original cast members, David St. Hubbins, uh, you know, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, Christopher Guest, all coming back. It's due for 2024. Great premise. Uh, do you remember their manager, Ian, who had the cricket bat and temper issues? Mm, I don't. I don't remember. Okay. Well, their manager has passed away, and his wife, uh, his widow, has inherited the contract, and she goes over the contract and decides. Oh, apparently, according to this, Spinal Tap owes me one more show. And she basically tells them, if you don't do this, I will seek uh, litigation against you. They haven't interacted in years, and so they're forced to reunite and try to put on this show. And as anybody who followed the uh, original movie knows, they are probably one of the most dysfunctional groups that ever walked the face of the planet, including the fact that every one of their drummers dies under very mysterious circumstances. So it will be interesting to see what they do. I think, you know, they've done specials, they've done albums and stuff like that that have not been anywhere near the original film. And I think the fact that um, Reiner is going to be back and involved bodes really well for it. So I, I'm just very curious to see how that all plays out. And that is going to do it for us this week, folks. I hope everyone takes care, be well, and we'll talk to you next week. Until then, take care.